Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Toe Meets Leather Podcast. I'm Logan. Here with me today is uh, the newest Tennessean. Is that the correct term? Tennessean, Andrew? Uh, maybe. I don't know. But technically, I'm not there yet. I'll be there on Monday. Okay. Very, very soon. And an old school Texan here in Artem. How's it going today, Artem? Howdy. I'm going to take that as pretty good, y'all. That's right. So this week we've got a fun one on our hands. We're talking about the American Conference. And depending on your perspective, they can either be considered the top G6 program or the bottom P5, P6 program. Um, Full of a lot of fun storylines this year. Um, obviously they always kind of make a story out of themselves. What with the UCF perspective, um, claiming the national championship and, uh, just generally having a lot of dark horses and a lot of fun teams to watch putting up points. But, uh, this year, in fact, they've got another hot storyline coming out of the off season and that's UConn. So Andrew, we were actually talking about this right before the cast started. You've got a better understanding of this than, I really expected uh, from any of y'all to have. So do you want to go into this a bit and tell us what exactly is happening with UConn? Uh, the simplest way is UConn has decided to move. So UConn is probably the biggest loser in the conference realignment sweepstakes. When the old Big East collapsed, they really didn't have any where to go, as opposed to, say, Syracuse or Boston College that joined the ACC. So they joined the American, but a couple of the schools from that old Big East, mainly your private schools, your small private schools, kept the Big East moniker and became a basketball-only conference, a basketball and other sports conference that didn't sponsor football. And UConn has decided that they would be a better fit to join that conference in every sport but football, and that's what they've decided to do. Which honestly, from a basketball standpoint, I think makes a lot of sense because it gets them back with some of their old rivals, the Georgetown, St. John, the Providence, those schools that I think they would prefer to play versus, say, Houston or Cincinnati. But the question is going to be, there's already one football-only member in the American, and that's Navy. All the rest of Navy sports are in the Patriot League. And it's going to be interesting to see if the American is comfortable having another football-specific member. So, really, there hasn't been a long-term decision made as far as what they're going to handle with UConn, uh, with UConn football. Because I, I've already seen a lot of talk about, oh, they should just replace UConn outright. No, 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 no. They haven't really come to a formal decision about getting rid of UConn uh, officially. So all the teams like App State shouldn't be jumping on their horses to ride into the American Conference, is what you're telling me. Uh, not yet. And, and it'll be interesting to see what the American decide how they want to do that. UConn in a weird place. You know, the state of Connecticut doesn't have great football. The Northeast itself really outside of maybe Pennsylvania. I don't know if you call that the Northeast. doesn't have really great high school football. Their stadium, I think they're kind of like Miami where the stadium's a good half hour away from campus. Oh, wow. And so so it's, it's tough to get crowds there, and it's just not – you know, and UConn's always kind of been a basketball school. I mean, certainly a women's basketball school. But, uh, yeah, I, I think they want to get back to the greater heights that their men's basketball program had. 
And, I mean, frankly, they've been struggling to field a football team for the past few years. They've really not done very well in any shape or form. Um, I think another part of it, too, is apparently the state of Connecticut is having absolutely horrific budget issues. And so there, there are starting to be discussions and issues of, you know, why is UConn spending this kind of money on, you know, football where they're bad? <laughs> okay. Artem, uh, I don't think you know as much about UConn as Andrew does. Do you agree with that statement? Why are they spending money on UConn football? I mean, I, I mean, I had to look it up because – if I remember correctly, in the last decade, UConn's had some sort of big upset every other year against a the team they're playing. And, you know, I think the ones I remembered were from them playing the ACC and beating up on, like, a Louisville or Lamar Jackson or somebody was there, but I was wrong. Um, they had bigger wins than that, actually. Apparently, in football, they've beaten um, Toledo, I guess, is not that popular, but was Virginia in overtime in 2010? That's pretty big. Uh, Iowa State in 2000, that's too far ago. UConn against South Florida, again, uh, a win in 2010. And then they beat Notre Dame in double overtime in 2009. I mean, still last decade, that's still some bragging rights there. Like, you go, <laughs> at any point in time in uh, Notre Dame's history, them losing to UConn is terrible. So they've had these bigger wins against schools, I would say, every other year, just from my memory and these couple that I looked up. Uh, against bigger schools so i think they have something to brag about but there's something to be said about some of these schools that have stuck around the conferences they're in and made those conferences better by developing themselves um ucf is one of those schools i'm not sure andrew um have you heard anything about you know them moving to a different conference or people being interested in taking them in i think we're still the thing we're waiting on is the television the big television contracts i think have two to three years left on them and I don't think you'll see any movement until you start having television renegotiations. Right. And I guess it's one of those that's – do you – aside from the television contract or maybe including the television contract, do you want to be the one school that's bringing in all the television money so you get the larger percentage of it from a smaller conference that UCF is in now? Or just using UCF as an example, or do you want to be, you know, part of the ACC or Pac-12 or Big 12, one of the bigger conferences, right? And get either an equal amount or smaller share, depending on how the conference does it. Well, the other issue that UCF runs into is the the two conferences that would make sense: the Southeastern Conference and the Atlantic Coast Conference will never invite UCF because they don't need to. They already have schools in Florida. Well, they already they've already got plenty of schools, but. Back on topic, we're not talking about UCF, we're talking about UConn. And I guess, to Artem's point, they have had some upsets, they've had some stuff to justify the program, but that doesn't really draw in viewership and it doesn't really draw in uh, ticket sales. So, I mean, I guess I'm at, can the American, aside from UConn, obviously UConn's got their reasons, but can the American justify keeping UConn on as a football-only program? I mean, I don't understand. I mean, what kind of financials is UConn bringing in uh, at the end of the day? I guess probably not a lot. They haven't made both the main things. Now, I'm not sure if if UConn gets them any of New York TV market, as well as it doesn't have their own network. 
you know, there a lot of their games are on CBS Sports Network and, and some kind of other. I think I saw somewhere they just signed a deal with the NFL Network as well, so that'll be kind of fascinating what that turns into. But, I mean, they're good because it gives you an even number of teams in each division, but... Is that is that the best argument? I guess, Artem, I'll go back to you. You seemed actually pretty happy about... Uh, I wouldn't... I wouldn't worry about it at all. I mean, if you're in the the American Conference, UConn is an easy school to beat up on every year. Um, These schools are trying to be better at football. They're trying to, like UCF, Houston, um, Temple is, you know, getting up there. Tulsa is starting to uh, fight their way up. University of South Florida, in a way. All these schools are trying to be better at football. They're trying to get that talent. Even Cincinnati, I would say, has had some good talent. And if you're those schools, you want one of those schools to beat up on because you're also scheduling the SECs, the Power Five teams on your schedule. Those are going to be probably losses, but it gives you a chance to beat. Even though it gives you a chance to beat those bigger teams, they're most likely going to be losses. So you want that strength of schedule and that publicity from playing the bigger teams, but you also want a school like UConn to beat up on because sometimes you got to get those wins and you'd rather have UConn than an FCS school because then you're paying them to come to you and you're losing if you lose. You're double losing. So it sounds like it makes sense from a purely football logistical standpoint, but maybe not so much from a financial standpoint or from a money market standpoint if they're not bringing in that New York uh, audience. Like well, even from a financial standpoint, right? You're... UConn's at least paying half of that contract if they stay in the conference. If it's not UConn, it's probably an FCS opponent, and then you're paying the FCS opponent, and then you have to draw a crowd in, whereas UConn's already somebody you're going to be scheduling. They'll pay for at least half of it, and you'll probably get some fans, more fans than an FCS opponent, potentially. Assuming that that's the worst game they have to schedule, I mean, there is still talk of them bringing in another team into the conference, but... Uh, we'll see. This is a still developing story, so it is kind of fa- fascinating to make conjecture, but it, it's a strange situation, that's for sure. We'll keep y'all updated as time moves along, but we got to get moving along in the podcast. Next up, um, USF. I guess I'll start with you this time, Artem. Uh, what, do you, what do you make out of USF this year? Uh, what are your expectations for them? I mean, hopefully they can lose to Georgia Tech. That'd be nice. Uh, I don't don't really have high expectations. Um, I know Andrew's a huge fan of Charlie Strong. I am not. Um, Nothing against him and nothing against him being at Texas. He did a wonderful job not leading them to any bowl games. That was great. But, a joke. But, um, watching the Georgia Tech game, they had a guy, I don't remember his name, I know he ran track, and he was really fucking fast. And he ran. He took two back to the house during the Georgia Tech day, game. I think he had a catch for another 85-yard touchdown. And that was the only game that dude was ever effective in for the rest of the year. How uncreative are you that you have the fastest dude on the field and you can't get him open, get him the ball, and get him in the end zone the rest of the year? He, he had more production in that Georgia Tech game than he had the rest of the season. So I don't have hopes for uh, – you have to be out crazily talented uh, to even do well. I know they have Blake Barnett coming back. 
hopefully that'll do better for them. But seeing that kind of production from, uh, I think he was a freshman too, and then not seeing it for most of the rest of the year, and then watching Blake Barnett have to run for first downs on almost every third down is just it's unimaginative. I, I can't. That that is a huge lack of imagination. What you can do with all the resources you have, no matter what good of a defense you have. So, I am hopeful for them. <laughs> They'll probably make a bowl game, but with, due to the lack of imagination, I don't see bright um, success in their future. So it seems like you're really concerned on the coaching side of things, not necessarily on the talent level side of things. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, Andrew, what, what do you think? Uh, obviously, you're higher on Charlie Strong. So one of the things last year, it's they they struggled through injuries late in the season and lost six straight games to finish the year, which is you know never a good thing. Barnett got hurt. The defense just wasn't great. They struggled a lot getting off the field. One of the interesting things that Strong did do is he brought in a new offensive coordinator. He brought in Kerwin Bell who actually won the Division II National Championship at Valdosta last year. And if there's something that I've learned is offensive coaches from Valdosta State usually do pretty well. Guys like Hal Mummy, Mike Leach, Chris Hatcher, you know, guys that have had fantastic offenses. So it'll be interesting to see what brings in. Or like I said, a team that returns a ton offensively. Barnett's back. You know, their top running back, Jordan Cronkite's back wide receiver St. Felix is, you know, there's a lot of talent coming back on offense and as Artem kind of hit on, it'll be interesting to see if, if a new offensive coordinator is able to be a little more innovative and do a little more with them. The defense has got to get better if they're going to challenge anyone for anything. And so that's really kind of where my question is, is what is the defense going to be? Are they going to be significantly better? If so, then that will obviously help them be a better program in the conference and then if not well that's kind of they probably end up being seven and five again all right so not nearly not very optimistic on usf how about houston uh artem you were talking earlier in the year about how houston's going to challenge oklahoma early uh in our big 12 podcast um so were you knocking on oklahoma or is this just you feel that Houston actually could be very, very good. They have a chance of being pretty good this year, and I say that because if you look down there too uh, deep, the first depth chart guys are seniors or juniors. They do have a bunch of transfers on defense, so that that is an area they lacked in last year. Hopefully they patch up some holes there. But I think the biggest guy they're bringing back is quarterback King. Um, he's a senior this year, and he was most of their production last season. When he got hurt, a bunch of guys had to step in to kind of account for that offense, and they weren't as good as he was. I look at their schedule. They started out against Oklahoma, like you mentioned, and they have a lot more talent and a lot more comfortability. Not, not much has changed on that front uh, as far as Houston goes. They have uh, Major Applewhite still as the head coach. Oh, I'm sorry. Dana Holgerson is the head coach. Yeah, come on, bro. Okay. We talked about, this on, the, talked about this on the Big 12 one. <laughs> Very similar system. I think he's going to do great. All the guys that he has there are perfect fit for Dana Holgerson's creativity and throwing the ball deep. If King doesn't work out, uh, they got Clayton Toon, who's a sophomore there. He was a kind of a, I would say, a no-name three-star coming out. He didn't get enough height, but the kid could toss the rock 60 yards. 
So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. And I think they're in a more stable condition because of all the players they have coming back, um, as opposed to Oklahoma. Oklahoma will have to reinvent their defense. And I think they're going to struggle there in the first game. Maybe Oklahoma pulls out due to talent and just the the depth of talent that they have versus the level of experience. But I do think Houston's going to put up quite a bit of points on them. It'll be good, at least going into the, the first half. Okay. And then... They play Washington State, which is going to be interesting. So they'll play the defense, uh, the the defensive coordinator from Washington State in the Oklahoma game, and then they'll play Washington State. I'd say the game I'm most excited for them is probably UNT, just because I, I want to see kind of the shootout five or six games in. Hopefully Houston figures out everything on offense and defense, and they're firing at all cylinders, and they hit UNT, and they got Mason Fine, who also hopefully is firing at all cylinders, and that's going to be a great game about halfway in the season. Well, probably make a ball game. Well, as Arden pointed out, they're facing a lot of high-flying offenses, and defense was not something that Daner Holgerson was uh, particularly well-known for at his time at West Virginia. Uh Andrew, what do you think about Houston going into the season? Is it a make or big defense or just run up the score kind of team? It's interesting. We we're just talking about Kerwin Bell's Valdosta State guy. Holgerson also spent some time at Valdosta State with Halmami. And yeah, I think it's a team that the defense is really going to be the defining factor. If King's healthy, they're going to score points. I mean, he completed 64% of his passes, he had a 36 to 6 touchdown or interception ratio. I mean, he's incredibly athletic. Like, if the dude's healthy, it's going to be incredible. Almost all of his skill players are back. He's got a thousand-yard receiver coming back. You know, a bunch of running backs. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the questions for me aren't at all on offense. I think that, that they're really set up to do well. I think Holgers is a great offensive coach. But oof, the question is: Is the defense going to get better? They weren't great last year at all. And they really struggled. They were 73rd in defensive S&P plus. So, you know, they have to replace Ed Oliver, who kind of didn't play the second half of the season. So he was kind of already gone as it was. The secondary lost just about everybody. So that's really going to be the tough part is, is it's going to be a lot of new faces. It's a new defensive coordinator, Joe Cawthon, coming from Arkansas State. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do at Houston, where he's really kind of bringing in a lot of new guys in new positions. Again, if, if the defense is mediocre to good, they've got to be the favorite in the West, in my mind, and, and even have a chance to challenge Oklahoma, probably not win that game, but I could see them beating Washington State. That's probably the most exciting game for me. That game will probably take seven and a half hours, too, because neither of those teams like to run the ball. Next up, ECU. They exist. Andrew, what do you got to say about ECU? Oh, I will never, ever forgive ECU for firing Ruffin McNeil. I thought it was one of the dumbest things that they ever could do. Not only did they fire McNeil, which was a terrible decision, they followed up with hiring Scotty Montgomery, which was as bad of a decision. So this year, they brought in Mike Houston from James Madison, who won a title at the FCS level, played for a national title at the Division II level, You know, turned the Citadel into a really competitive program. So it'll be interesting to see what he does, kind of making the step up. There's there's a bit of a background to this where he apparently agreed 
by handshake to take the UNC Charlotte job. And then when ECU came calling, he kind of went, oh, wait a minute. And so then he took the ECU job. So it'll be interesting to see their best thing is they've got a quarterback who played really well for them last year. He was a, a just under a four-star coming in. Ehlers is his last name. He, big guy. You know, at a 12-3 touchdown interception, you know, completion rate under 50, which is never, ever good. He had awesome, awful games against Tulane and Cincinnati. But, you know, he had some really good games against Memphis. And, obviously, he destroyed UConn like everyone did last year. So, to be interested to see what, you know, Houston as an offensive guy has really been able to, to tailor a lot of the scheme that they do and a lot of what they've done to the talent he has. So, to be interested to see what he's able to do there. Bunch of receivers coming back. <laughs> the run game was, well, awful. They were 105th in rushing S&P Plus last year. So, and they lost their top running back. Um, the defense, eh, you know, all of their Havoc players are gone, but everyone else is back, so that'll give them some opportunities to, yeah, maybe find some guys to pass rush and do that. Uh, I think Houston was a good hire, and I think he's going to be able to kind of get ECU back in the right direction. I don't think it'll be this year, but next year, you know, maybe the year after. The other thing about Mike Houston, and this is a great line, is Mike Houston is about as North Carolina as you can possibly be. He went to Mars Hill in Asheville. He coached at North Carolina High School for 12 years. He was at, at Brevard, at Lenore Ryan, both within North Carolina. He then spent time in the Citadel, which is in South Carolina. And then he took the James Madison job, which is in Virginia. So, I mean, if you wanted a guy who's got experience recruiting the areas you're going to recruit, he's the guy to hire. So it sounds like he's going to make a headway, just maybe not as quickly as they would like to see. But that's a, I think it's a, it's a good thing because ECU has been in a bad spot for the past three years or so. I mean, and that's, I mean, and that's a ravenous fan base. There's a lot of them. I didn't realize until I came to North Carolina. A lot of pirates. There's a lot of pirates. Oh my gosh. Uh, anyway, Artem, do you got when anything? You wanna be a, when you want to be a pirate, it's a badass mascot. I don't want to be an ass pirate. Artem, that's your thing. You gotta do what you gotta do. That's Nigel's thing. That's definitely Nigel's thing. Hope he's listening. Uh, So, Artem, do you want to talk about ECU, or do you want to just move on to Cincinnati? Uh, I want to see how they do against uh, North Carolina State in their first game. And kind of tell the whole tale for the rest of their season. Probably rely on their defense most of the season. But let's move on to Cincinnati. All right, go ahead. Hit us with Cincinnati. Actually, actually hang on. I do have a t- feel-good story for the ECU people out there. I don't know if this, how much this was on the news, but um, they had the Defensive Player of the Year this past year, Nate Harvey. And I guess he really wanted to stay for an extra year at ECU. So he applied, and the gracious NCAA denied the extra year, even though you know he had some shit. He went through his freshman year at a different college, and he had to go in the draft. And he's currently with the New York Giants. So if you're an ECU fan, that's a pretty awesome story. Your player got denied, but he still got paid a little bit. All right, Cincinnati. 
Honestly, it doesn't feel really good for them. They had a great year last year. I don't think they'll have as good a year this year. Their quarterback's gone. Although they do have some senior talent coming back, they're going to be relying on some freshmen, redshirt freshmen. Um, overall, they're just not not because they're bad, but because of the outlook of how the rest of the conference looks and some of the high-powered offenses that they will have to be playing. I think they just won't live up to the 11-2 and standard that they had set last year. They're probably going to lose against Memphis, UCF, and, I mean, hopefully for UCLA, that game is pretty bad for Cincinnati. If Cincinnati beats up on UCLA, Chip Kelly's going to be looking for a new job. But that, they open with UCLA. They're their favorite in that game. <laughs> yeah, I favor them too. <laughs> Chip Kelly has something to prove still. Got to win some games. I I have yet to see that man win some games. Andrew. Yeah, I'm saying I'm saying it won't be a super bad year for them. But it, I don't think they'll have 11 wins again. All right. You share the same similar outlook, Andrew? No, I think they're going to be the biggest challenger to UCF in the East this year. That's a starting little. Quarter, starting quarterbacks back, 1,300 yard rushers back, all but one receiver, seven defensive starters, and two starters that sat out all of last season injured that were really good the year before. They got a lot coming back. And I, you know, I've I think I've been on the Cincinnati bandwagon for I know at least last year and the year before. I mean, I think Fickle's done a great job there. He's recruited really, really well, especially for an American conference program. You know, and they they kind of were a year ahead of schedule last year. You know, no one really expected them to win eleven games. We thought maybe seven, eight, get to a good bowl game, but you know, no one really saw eleven, and then they just so coming back you know then they're still young you know they're, they're they're guys that played a lot last year they're still soft juniors so it'll be interesting to see what they're able to do you know they're a team that really wants to run the ball and they, they'll have two great running backs you know the defense does have some holes but you know they again played really really well so to me they've got to be the the favorite to challenge ucf and they get ucf at home so I think that'll be a exciting game October the 4th. Um, unfortunately, do Ohio State week two. That's uh, it's not going to end very well for them. Well, Ohio State loves to beat up on other Ohio teams. You know, it's just crazy. Uh. Oh, yeah, you're right. They did have their quarterback back. That was my bad. Good call out. Let's see. And then, uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of excited to see where Cincy lands because the East is really where the battle is going to be fought. I think out of the West, you're kind of looking at Memphis in general, uh, and maybe Houston. It's kind of hard to say. Uh, anyway, next up we got Temple. So Andrew, I hear they got a new coach over there. Yeah. So Manny Diaz was the coach for like two weeks. <laughs> um, Poor Manny we hired, Diaz. We hired Jeff Collin, the seventh. On December the 12th, the Owls hired, at the time, Miami's defensive coordinator, Manny Diaz. And then on December the 30th, Miami named Manny Diaz as Mark Rick's replacement. So he spent eh, about 17 or 18 days as the head coach at Temple. <laughs> um, and then 
they hired they hired NIU coach Rod Carey, which really kind of had a lot of people scratching their head. He really wasn't a guy who kind of fit what Temple was going to do. And a lot of the scuttlebutt is that NIU was about to run him off anyway. Now, he does inherit a lot of talent coming back on offense that is really good. Quarterbacks back, a couple of wide receivers. You know, they did lose Raquel Armstead, but, you know, running back's a place where they'll probably be able to plug a guy in. They've got some talent there. The defense, you know, Temple was pretty pretty solid defensively, so we should to see if they can kind of keep that going. That, was, know, they, that and, was their bread and butter last year was their defense. Yeah. You know, Jeff Knowles came over with Kearney from NIU, so we should to see how that works. A lot of linebackers coming back. You know, some decent defensive line talent. The questions are going to be in the secondary. Rocky Sin, which has got to be one of the greatest names in college football, um, is gone. So, you know, there's a couple of places they got to fill there. You know, they're they're, fav- they're favored in all – Five of their first games, including the game against George Tech. <laughs> uh, you, you love to drill that home that we're not really favored in any games we play, huh? Bad. We're going to be bad next year. <laughs> when we get an ACC, we can talk about how bad we're going to be. But, yeah, I mean, they could honestly go into the Memphis game 5-0, and which was set up for a great AAC matchup in, middle, in the middle of October. You know, week two against Maryland, week four against Georgia Tech, and, and actually week three against a sneakily decent Buffalo team will be pretty interesting, but you know, their, their projected wins are about 7.4. So yeah, I see you know, seven, eight wins, nice bowl game, you know, good, good first season for Kearney to see if he can kind of build something. And then, you know, although Temple's problem is he has two good seasons and then somebody else hires him. Yeah. We'll see if they'll be able to break that trend and actually make him come stay. But I guess it'll also be a question of if they want to make him stay. It sounds like he's kind of had issues with within the program more so than anything. Um, so, Artem, I, you were actually a pretty big fan of this guy while he was at NIU, or at least you liked the program in general. Uh, you got any thoughts on Temple? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting situation what he does there. He wasn't really able to, like Andrew mentioned, consistently recruit um, – High at a high level within the conference he was in before. With NIU, his recruiting rankings dropped off a little bit. I did like him a lot. He seemed to be a very logical dude. Um, he could find the holes that the other team had and just exploit those holes pretty much the entire game. There was a game where they were down 20 or 30-something points and came back to win it with 35 points just running the running back between the tackles. So, um, like Andrew mentioned, it'll be interesting to see who they – who fills in the hole at running back. They do have their quarterback back, though, Anthony Russo. Uh, he's a big dude, and Rod Carey is doesn't mind when his quarterback runs. So um, I'm hoping to see some of that to move the sticks a little bit. I think he's going to be a little bit of a rough year, even though some talent's coming back. Just figuring out the Rod Carey system out. But he's a pretty good coach, and he's developed his guys to a point where um, a bunch of them made it into the league. So it'll be... I think it's a step up for him. Um, depending on what he does there, I think he might have a five or five job coming up soon. But uh, the concern there is, you know, the consistent recruiting. Don't let it drop off, and you got to recruit towards the the top of your conference at least to succeed. Gotcha. Speaking of teams that have got to recruit towards the top of their conference, 
uh, SMU. So the Mustangs have been trying to build to at least be a program similar to what Houston's got uh, over there. Artem, I think you've got more insight because you're closer to all of these colleges in Texas. What What is the uh, process going on with Sonny Dykes at SMU? Is there some hype behind it, or is it pretty much just same old, same old? I'm going to let Andrew talk about Sonny Dykes because he knows a lot about Sonny Dykes. So I'm going to talk about their exciting quarterback transfer, Shane Buchel, who could fling it pretty far when he was at Texas and who could fling it 50 times a game if he had to. And like I said, Andrew will talk a little bit more about that, but that's nearly perfect for that system. He's got a bunch of dudes coming back, a wide receiver. He's going to be a good team. Uh, their success is pretty much determined by how well they play against Houston in the Dallas area. It's a big rivalry between Houston and Dallas as cities without football, but when those two meet each other on the football field, it's a pretty big deal. So Shane Buchel is going to have to put up some numbers against Houston, and if, if there's a struggle, the thing with Buchel is he he's a kind of NFL quarterback on the in the thought process level, I'll say that. So he's the kind of like when Tom Brady goes on the field and Tom Brady's like, eh, you know what? There's there's another down. Let's let's play next time. Shane Buchel is that type of dude. He's not going to be the guy that that runs. He's a competitor, but he's not going to run into a, a linebacker and let him hit him just so he can get an extra yard or two. He, he's a relatively smart dude. A bunch of his family's athletes. So if there's any quarterback controversy coming in seven seven or eight games in, if he's not doing well, not connecting with the receivers, Houston's going to be that determining game. He could win over the crowd went over the fan base but um yeah i think he's he's a perfect fit for that system you can throw the ball around a lot they got running back coming back wide receivers that's that's a perfect setup for him right there as long as their defensive or offensive line can hold he won't have to run around a lot and he can just plug in the rock it's well, gonna be an exciting year for the mustangs compared to the last couple of years yeah i mean with all that said andrew uh Artem's got me pretty hyped for the Mustangs right now. Do or what are we looking at for a season? At least making a bowl game. Uh, at worst, winning the conference, winning the division. One of the things that I'm really interested to watch is Dykes is you know he's an old school air raid guy. You know uses a lot of tempo, but yeah, there's a joke like he's old school, old school air raid. Like he doesn't want to run the ball. He wants to spread it out. He wants to create a lot of one on ones. But one of the interesting things he did last year is he hired Rhett Lashley from Auburn. Lashley's a guy who has been with Malzahn pretty much everywhere Malzahn's been. He played high school quarterback for Gus Malzahn at Shiloh Christian in Springdale, Arkansas. Like He is a Malzahn guy. So I'm really interested, and I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of SMU last year, but I really wanted to see how kind of those two systems mesh together. Some of the, the old kind of wing T type run game out of the Malzahn system with some of the more traditional air raid stuff that Dykes always like to do. And I think Artem hit it great. Uh, Bushell's a great fit for that. He's athletic. He's a good decision maker. He's got a strong arm. Their biggest questions is going to be the offensive line. They were young and injured last year, so it'll kind of be interesting to see what they can do. Uh, the defense, they were young. They were okay. You know, they need to take some steps in the right direction. In terms of arguing, fighting for the division, I'm not sure if they're there yet. You know, they have to go two and 
to Memphis in back-to-back weeks. So that, I think that's going to be a really tough setup for them. I think week two against North Texas is going to be a fun game to watch because those are definitely, you know, Bichelle and then Mason Fine at North Texas. They're teams that like to sling the ball points. So that'll be a fun game. You know, and if they're undefeated going into the TCU game, I think that'll set them up well to get, you know, six to seven wins, make a bowl game, you know, start to, to try to build some momentum going into next year. All right. Well, I want to go into these next three teams. I've kind of combined them together. The first two I combined because I always get them confused. And the third one I combined because it's a basketball school. So Tulane, Tulsa, and Wichita State. Andrew, what can you give me on those three teams? You can start with Wichita State if you want. I know that's a challenging one. Greg Marshall's got another good class coming in for him. Yeah, I don't really know much about Wichita State basketball. They're usually pretty good. <laughs> um, I think it'd be a great hire for when Georgia Tech inevitably fires Josh Pastner, but we probably can't afford him. Tulane um, and I aren't on speaking terms right now. Is that because in- Willie Fritz decided that taking Tulane to, I think, their first bowl game in a really, really long time wasn't good enough and so he fired his off coordinator and decided we're going to get away an option system so Tulane and I are not a gotcha well what about Tulsa they're in Oklahoma (laughs) Um, I I honestly thought Phil Montgomery was going to get fired he's 21 and 29 in 5 years he went 3 and 9 last year you know, they're they're not great. So they're the ECU of Oklahoma. Great. All right. And I mean, <laughs> yeah, because they're the only other school in Oklahoma I can think of, other than the two Oklahoma's, you know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Um, you just got to figure out just trying to get better. You know, Montgomery was in that Baylor, you know, R. Bryles kind of, scheme sling the ball around you know the offensive line has four guys coming back but you know if they weren't that good the first time i think they're still trying to find a quarterback that's going to be one of their big questions not sure who they're you know luke skipper started games before he got hurt um you know they zach smith who's a baylor transfer came in so, I mean, that's really going to be the question is if the quarterback can make some steps in the right direction, the defense can get a little better. They really struggled in, in pa- you know, passing defense and rushing. You know, they really couldn't stop anybody. I mean, they weren't UConn-level bad, but, you know, they were in the middle of a scheme transition. So it'd be interesting to see if they can make those steps. They, they've kind of got a tough schedule. They play at Michigan State and home to Oklahoma State in the first three weeks. And then the rest of the schedule does it really set up they're going to be favored against east carolina and they're going to be favored against navy and then they're going to be favored against san jose state and that's pretty much it now they so, do get houston and memphis and ucf all at home not that that's really going to help them but they get all three of them this year so yes so, yeah it may be another three four win season and he might be out the door i mean we that's what we thought last season though so who knows it's true um Artem, do you got anything to say about Tulane, Tulsa, and Wichita State? 
Tulsa just signed a eight-year series with Oklahoma State, so Oklahoma State's going to get eight free wins starting in twenty twenty-four <laughs> and heading into twenty thirty-two. As a garbage deal, who who signs an eight-year deal with anybody these days? I don't know. I, I got to imagine Tulsa's getting paid a lot for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably my guess. It's it's a way to make good money in state. All right, well, if you got nothing else to say, Artem, then I'll let you move on to the fun one, UCF. Uh, they Obviously, they had a tough loss to end, their, they, to end their undefeated streak against LSU at the end of in a bowl game last year. Um, and you were often kind to remind us that, no, they were not, in fact, the 2018 National Championship champions. Would you care to... Uh, Talk about their upcoming season. Do Are you excited to see them be on a possible down note with the loss of talent they are having? We'll see. The The kid that came in, I can't find his name, to replace McKenzie Milton. Hopefully that kid recovered well, and we'll see him on the football field this year because he was a crazy competitor. What is he, like 5'10", 5'11 guy? Could do really well. Um, but the guy that came in to replace him played really well in the LSU game, at least I thought, in, in the game that he replaced them in, too. I think it was Memphis, and they actually beat him. Um, I think they kind of fucked up the situation they had. Um, I wouldn't have, personally, looking back on it, even now, uh, advertised myself as the national champion and had a parade in my city. I would have built on the momentum, because if, if I'm a high-profile recruit and somebody does that crap on, on an official visit because I came to visit because you're winning all these games... I don't want to be, you know, oh, okay, you're, you're trying to be a fake national champion. That that turns me off. But if you're like, hey, we're winning a bunch of games, or we're a good school, or a good conference, if you just sell yourself and build on that momentum, I think they slightly missed out on that and probably got turned off, uh, turned off some recruits in the way that they approached the situation. Probably a little too enthusiastic on their part. And I think there's an interesting game on their schedule this year, though, in Stanford, and I think it's going to be interesting based on how the two schools use their offenses. Stanford is a huge, you know, six, seven lineman every once in a while, more often than most schools, and just run run it down your throat school. And UCF is a spread them uh, option handoff team. So it'll be that, – that's a pretty exciting game because it could really go either way. If UCF puts out points, it'll be interesting if Stanford's able to keep up or if Stanford just keeps the ball away from them most of the game and kind of builds on the points they, they have. Uh, there could be an interesting comeback for UCF there. I think they have another good year um, in them because of the young quarterback that stepped up when McKenzie Milton went down. Or if McKenzie Milton is back, which I don't think he is because that was a pretty bad injury. Um, they'll, they'll do well again this year. I don't think they'll go undefeated as they have in years past, but they no longer have to after the last couple of years they had. Um, I think some of the the huge hype was toned down. They talked a lot of smack in the LSU game, and they lost. Um, I think LSU took pretty good control of that game, considering the fact that they were playing third or fourth string defensive backs against uh, UCF. But UCF can use this year as another building block. They have younger talent stepping up that did good last year and going into this year, potentially take that next step forward and maybe make another big bowl game or another a bid for uh, playoffs in a year or two. All right. And then, uh, Andrew, kind of building on our 
Mountain West. This is the other uh, podcast. This is the other team that's kind of a Boise State. They're the new underdog. Everybody's always eyeing them up and looking them up and down, trying to determine if they deserve to be there. Um, Artem's kind of hit on some very good points there as far as where they'll be next year. Should we expect them to be in another year of challenging for the playoffs with the talent level they got left right now? I think so. Again, they're going to be odds-on favorite in the East. They do quarterback Darrell Mack Jr. comes back. What's interesting is he's actually going to be in a quarterback battle because they added Notre Dame transfer Brandon Winbush. Milton's still rehabbing from, I think he broke like three bones in his leg. It was, it was bad. Um, so yeah, Mac and Winbush are, are kind of battling out for the quarterback job. It'll be kind of interesting if Winbush transferred then loses that starting job again like he did in Notre Dame. Uh, the defensive line lost a lot, but they do return a ton offensively, and they're a fun offensive team to watch. And like you said, the stamp game will be fascinating. I think the game against Pitt will be an interesting game, a game where Pitt's a pretty solid team this year, and it'll give them a chance to come out. And they're actually favored against Stanford as well. They're favored in every game they play this year. I mean, they do have to. Tr- they've kind of. They do have to travel to Temple, but oh, you make they get that- Houston at home, and they don't get Memphis, so that's going to help them out a lot. But yeah, I mean, they got to be the favorite. Uh, I think that Stanford Pittsburgh back back two weeks will be really fascinating. Artem really kind of hit on the the offensive contradictions between the two, which will be kind of fun to watch. But yeah, I mean, they've got to be the favorite. And like you said, they're kind of the new, the nouveau reach Boise state, you know, kind of where Boise state slowly built and built, you know, and would win like the Fiesta Bowl. UCF just like picked the door in and set the house on fire. <laughs> I so, mean, you know, fucking come at us. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a great way to get some attention though. I, I'm not going to oh, yeah. lie. Oh yeah. And so, you know, they, for the foreseeable future until, you know, Hypo wins 10 games this year and somebody hires them away, which seems to be inevitable. You know, they've got to be the favorite in the East. And, again, they'll probably make a lot of noise. And, honestly, if, if they go undefeated this year and Stanford has the kind of Stanford year we think they should and Pittsburgh, you know, has a 7-8 win year, I think that would give them a shot at a playoff berth depending on how the other team shook out. That's a lot to ask, but um... – I mean, it's always possible. You never know. Actually, get Stanford in Orlando. Yeah, that's also probably why they're favored against Stanford. That'll be an interesting. That's going to be a ball possession game for sure. Um, all right, next up, uh, Memphis. So Tigers, probably the top of the Western Conference, if not Houston. Andrew, what do you got on uh, Memphis? really good and they're really really fun to watch offensively well i can't wait i can't wait for that matchup in the championship game i mean i'm just calling it this is my view of the championship game is going to be memphis versus ucf because that's always a fun game to watch i I love the the way those two teams go at each other Um, and he brought he, he did bring in a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator, because that's the one thing that happens with Memphis is no one wants to hire Mike Norvell. They just keep hiring all of his staff. <laughs> so it'll be really fascinating, the, the guys that he brought in. Kevin Johns is a you know an old-school spread guy, kind of learned the spread under 
Randy Walker at Northwestern back before everyone else was doing it. Spent a year at this tech under Kingsbury. You know, defensive coordinator Adam Fuller was at Marshall. You know, pretty pretty good coordinator at Marshall. You know, the offense, again, just so much fun to watch. They got to replace leading running back Henderson, and one of their backups, Pollard, is gone. So they're going to have to figure out who's going to really tote the rock for them. Yeah, a lot of offensive linemen are gone, so that'll be another place they've got to build off of. But, you know, the the quarterback's back, tight end's back, some wide receivers are back. The defense was young last year, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, if those young guys can kind of make a step in the right direction. And then, you know, the schedule, get – don't play UCF. Yeah, so they they get Houston. Their crossovers they get – it looks like Temple, Tulane, and USF, all winnable games. Cincinnati, it's all winnable games. Yeah, I and mean, they're easily going to be the biggest challenger. So that, that championship game, honestly, it would be really kind of fascinating, especially if Memphis comes out and beats Ole Miss week one. If you get an undefeated Memphis and an undefeated UCF in the American Conference championship game. It'll be very fascinating, and that's a distinct possibility too. I mean, both of these teams are very good. I, I'm really, I'm really thinking that's what's going to play out. Artem, do you have any projections as far as that goes? Are you expecting Memphis UCF? Yeah, I don't know about that. I think that's more likely than not, actually. But. Andrew hit some of my points right on the head. Mike Norvell, you know, still there. Pretty successful dude, but it's his only head coaching gig. I think if he has another nine plus win season, he's eight and five, ten and three, eight and six. If he wins nine games this year, he's gonna be looking at a pretty big power five job somewhere because the dude's winning and he's winning it. Memphis is not a bad program, but he's winning quite a bit for that program somebody's going to want him who's not winning as many games at a Power 5 school. His only problem is he can't seem to win a bowl game. He's lost all three of his bowl games. And kind of Andrew mentioned the depth chart. I completely agree there. And that my favorite game to watch is going to be that Ole Miss game. Because going into it, it's good stuff. Memphis brings a lot of people back. And Ole Miss, I recognize one name on defense. Don't know any of the other guys. I've never even heard of them. I haven't played them every year last couple of years in the SEC. Uh, they got a, a freshman coming back at quarterback. So <laughs> that quarterback is going to be playing a pretty hefty, pretty experienced Memphis team who's there to beat the shit out of them because it's, it's going to make a statement if they do and kick their season off on a good note. And that freshman quarterback, although he's pretty good, he was kind of shaky in the in the spring game last year, and there's a reason he didn't start last year. He's not that good. Um, I'll be interested to see how they – I think it's going to be a close game going into the fourth quarter, honestly. So we'll see what happens. Also, one of the other problems that Ole Miss has had is lack of running backs. Uh, you can see, if you look at their depth chart, at least uh, – out of the top four running backs, two are freshmen and one's a sophomore who was injured last year. And their top guy is a transfer guy. So they're looking at quarterback and running back as question marks on offense and pretty much a bunch of dudes who sat out last year on defense. Uh, I'd be willing to put some money on Memphis on that one. 
like I'm sure all our fans, our listeners at home, are like glad that they got to have that little touch of SEC in their American Conference discussion. So the thing about Norvell, and I I can't find anything, but every time a job opens, people talk about Norvell, and then you start hearing hushed whispers of something. He did something. There's some level of impropriety somewhere that have a lot of schools like not wanting to look at him. But I can't – I've never been able to find an article or any discussion other than – I've heard it on some podcasts. I've heard it discussed by some sports writers. But I've never been able to find out like what Mike Norvell did to give him kind of a black spot. Here's what we do, Andrew. We link him to the Tennessee job next year because Tennessee is going to be terrible. The students, the full student body, will go on the internet and find out for us, and we'll write it on that dang rock they have. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking that he woke Cthulhu. I mean, what else? I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Who the hell is Cthulhu? Are you serious don't right know. now? Are you serious right you now? Don't know. I'm dead serious. Oh my god! All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a break from uh, the dark ones that lie and beneath the oceans waiting to awake, and allow Andrew to talk about something else on the oceans that I'm pretty sure he thought I forgot about because uh, it wasn't in my summary. Uh, okay, Andrew, tell us about your favorite team, your second favorite team. Well, it was a rough year last year in Annapolis for Kenny and the midshipmen, only going three and that's uh. It's not really gonna. Not. It's not gonna be much better this year. I don't know. I keep. I keep. Dr- oh, the interesting though that Kenny's come out is he's he's talked about Army in particular has really built up their facilities, invested more in the program, and I think he feels like Navy has kind of sat on its haunches, and so it's interesting to see if if he can kind of talk them into investing some more in the program and putting some more into it. Uh, You know, how to figure out quarterback. They play back Comperi, who's an unbelievable athlete and is a great guy to, you know, get the ball in his hand. Quarterback, that's a great position to have him. Unfortunately, last year they cycled through three quarterbacks, Garrett Lewis, Zach Baby, and Perry. None of them really, you know, were able to do much. Um, Perry actually... Perry averaged 6.7 yards per carry and 24.7 yards per completion. The only problem is he only completed 36% of his passes. <laughs> so that's really going to be an issue where they've got to figure out how to get the ball into the hands of guys to win. You know, the offensive line is always a retool. They brought in a defensive coordinator. They've had the same guy for a long time, and they were just bad last year. I mean, defenses at Navy are always going to be kind of bend, don't break, force you to make mistake kind of defenses, and they were just bad last year. So it'll be interesting to see if if they can step and, you know, make a step in the right direction. You know, their struggle is they did choose to join the American Athletics. They don't have the same level of schedule control that Army has. So, you know, they got to go to Memphis. They got to go to Houston. They got to play at SMU. They go at Notre Dame. You know, it's a tough schedule for Navy. I mean, the projected wins 3.7. And, you know, maybe they can knock off Air Force, Connecticut, Holy Cross in East Carolina, and that gets you four wins. But the rest of them maybe two lane. But I mean, they're going to struggle again this year. And it'll be interesting to see 
what Kenny kind of steps in to look at trying to replace next year if they have another bad season. Well, they also just have it rough because it seems like everyone around them is getting better. Well, with the couple exceptions of uh, Tulsa, Tulane, probably. I mean, ECU, they're lucky to get in a cross-conference matchup. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when everyone else is getting better, it gets a lot harder for you to uh, – and your facilities aren't improving, you know. They've never been a recruiting powerhouse. It gets hard to stay – uh, up tempo, especially with the sec- success Kenny has had there, it's it's kind of a rough situation for him. And, uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and, and and it's you know it's tough to be that successful for so long in a program with so many challenges. Well, and that's yeah, and then just to face more challenges, I feel bad for Coach Kenny. Is I guess what I'm getting at. Uh, Artem, you got any thoughts on Navy? No, they're all right. They'll probably get more than three wins this season. Okay, okay. I like that. I like that motivation. It's uh, hard to cheer against the military. Well, with all that in mind, uh, who do we who do we got coming out of this conference? I, I assume it's all going to be on UCF from the way we're talking. You know, I think I think it'll be UCF Memphis or UCF Houston, and I think UCF's just the team that's got the weapons to to win it all and have been there before. Artem? Memphis. I'd go with Memphis. Just because I won with them last year. I don't know. It feels right. Fair enough. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for this week. Thanks, as always, for listening. And to all our listeners out there, have a good rest of your week. Bye, everybody.